terrors of tripping on pump. Be there! Scour the spaceways! Explore vast alien worlds! This tin right here contains the whole rigmarole. I used to smoke about an ounce of hash every day. Good. And it made me go a little bonkers. Maybe. If I occupy his mind with more duties, I can control his space. Big fat Hi. doobies. Hi. Hi. Oh, hi. Today is Friday, August 26th, 2016. It's episode 188 of the Hotbox. I'm Matt Lee, hotboxpodcast.com, hotbox.earth. Check it out. Got a great interview today. Going to talk to Steve Fun. If you don't know Steve Fun, he's been doing Hempfest since it was Hempfest. He had a great story, and I won't uh, ruin that by me retelling it, but he started at the first one and volunteered his way up. And now he is, uh, you're running the Kevin Black stage. You're the stage director. Well, I'm the, I'm the MC. I introduced the speakers. Um, I'm also kind of year round, uh, the kind of go-to person if you have questions about what's happening on that stage. But I really, I have to hand most of the actual stage uh, production to uh, my staff. I mean, they did an amazing job this year. Uh, the whole backstage area had this pirate theme and the food was excellent and all the speakers and the bands were taken care of and it was very relaxed and comfortable even though it was really hot. That was amazing. The The whole pirate decor. I, I appreciate that. We have a, a party yeah. in Montana once a year called the Pirate Party and it, it's that whole decor. But the, the stuff that you're your team put together. It was so comfortable and it was such a, an amazing yeah. atmosphere there. I, I really thank you guys for letting yeah. us hang out back there. And, and we have the, the band or the entertainment committee that lined all the bands up. And so uh, I just have to, you know, introduce them and make them comfortable when they show up. And then there's the speakers committee, which I, I was once on the entertainment committee. I was once on the speakers committee. I was on the speakers committee for a couple of years, five years, maybe. But I'm not on those committees anymore. Just it was just too much extra year-round work. Is that the like the uh, the speaker's jury? They call it in the if yeah. They call at the, it the speaker's jury. We, we I think we changed it to speaker's committee. But yeah, basically, you know, we take all the applications of the people that want to speak and and decide which ones go where. Right, right. Keep the flow of the show going and everything. Yeah, and, and what... you know, and try to decide who's relevant and who's. Uh, and then, and they also do the symposium panels where they have like five speakers for in on one topic and and talk about a topic. I I think that if I could work on another stage, I would definitely be at the symposium because that seems like a very exciting place to be. They usually pick very current topics and they have people talking about uh, you know people that are right there in the movement that are doing stuff and extremely passionate about it. I was there for a few of the panels and the the people that were speaking were just I mean they live this stuff kind of like what you were saying as far as you know doing the the hemp fest thing like you, we live for this kind of thing. It's it's really nice to yeah. see. That's kind of how I got my start was streaming and recording uh those talks uh, in in Montana and I always loved it cuz it was there was so much great information and as big as the internet is, you don't always come across that kind of legitimate information. So to be able to disseminate that, it's, yeah. it's really important, I think. But, you know, it was, uh, it was interesting because I saw some post somewhere where they said that the internet was 25 years old today or something like that. And Hempfest is 25 years old. And I don't think that's a coincidence. When I finally got, you know, my first AOL account in uh, about 95, um, that's when I really started getting active. That's when I started reading all the, the emails that were on email lists about, you know, all the things about hemp and activism and things that were going on. And it really, it's the stuff you don't get anywhere else. It's the information you don't get in the newspaper or on the radio or the TV or magazines. Um, and it was, you know, it really got me fired up. And also that's how we, I got in contact with HempFest and a lot of the other activism things I've been doing is through the internet. Well, I feel like once that was established, that sort of infrastructure, the whole prohibition mindset started to shift. I mean, people were able uh -huh. to talk to other people that were like-minded and share these ideas and, and thoughts, and and they're, they're all figuring out that cannabis is not this demonized substance that the government has made it out to be. We've been fooled. That, that's correct. And that was also the idea of HempFest when it first started out. We were going to have a free concert in the park. And it was, you know, the middle of the grunge era so that we could get a lot of bands that everybody wanted to see. All these young people came. And then between the bands, 
we tell him the things about hemp that were in was in Jack Harris book the emperor wears no clothes yep and Jack Harris came and spoke and you know and we we had uh, you know I remember Gary Cook holding up the board and said this board is made out of hemp and paper can be made out of hemp and this is stuff that just wasn't common knowledge but we got that information out you know it's not addicting it's not there's no way you uh, overdose on it and people were like yeah that's right and so we got this core group of people at the hemp fest that started to know this knowledge and pass it on. And now 25 years later, we've got all these people that are, you know, basically everybody under 30 knows all the stuff that we've been saying from the beginning about, you know, well, the truths, you know, um, you know, it's not addicting, it's not dangerous and it shouldn't be a schedule one drug. Yeah. It shouldn't be scheduled at all. If, uh, in my opinion, I mean, the schedule exists, to prevent humans from harming themselves with, you know, substances, the dose makes the poison and there is no dose to make cannabis a poison or the cannabinoid, you know, it's just, you can't do it. So it, it seems completely unnecessary. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's impossible to overdose. Although I have some friends that seem to try. <laughs> I, I do <laughs> too. Like, they like uh, to. <laughs> Kevin Black. Oh God. A <laughs> Kevin Black story that I haven't told. Oh, please. Um, his 36, birthday he had at my house maybe it was his 38th i when he was my roommate he had his birthday on december 6th and he did 36 dabs and he also we we everybody threw in and we rolled a joint that was 36 grams which <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> I, I it was like having a bonfire in the house i mean i opened up all the windows to try to get the smoke out it was just it, a hot box i mean it wasn't a small it's not a small living room and it was totally cloudy you couldn't see across it so it doesn't take much yeah. and then you're just breathing it in i i keep watching <laughs> these videos online about people just doing ridiculous sized dabs and i mean they're getting to the point where they're using like cookware you know they're they're not using dab nails they're using like pots and pans it's it's kind of silly but yeah yeah it is silly like i said but never i've seen some people get pretty wasted but i've never seen anybody you know overdose or have to get rushed to the hospital or get resuscitated or anything like that no the worst i've seen was you they you just don't see them for a couple hours and then you see them <laughs> again after their nap <laughs> yeah so that stage that you're doing like what are you we kind of talked a little bit about this at the interview but then you had to go get back up on stage uh you had mentioned about wanting to bring the metal back uh, about how when it was the the previous stage, and I, I'm sorry, the gentleman's name escapes me, um, but it was kind uh, of Peter like, Williams. yes, yes, it, it was like show tunes and kind of he was into that and jazz and, and that sort of thing, blues. And... Yeah, we didn't do that. We um, Well, entertainment committee, and they were, uh, there's a lot of good metal bands, a lot of good hardcore bands that were uh, sending out tapes. And Vivian was just like, no, we can't put these on main stage, and we certainly couldn't put them on Sealy stage. And I'm like, well, what? put them all on my stage, you know, the Peter McWilliams stage. And, you know, uh, like Todd McCormick said, it's like, you know, Peter McWilliams would want anyone, you know, there was a minority of people that weren't being represented, he would want them to be represented. I mean, he totally would be down with, you know, if, if people want to listen to metal music, they should have a place to do it. Uh, and punk music too. There too. And so we, you know, we became, we originally were the acoustic stage because um, we were a small stage. And so we had, you know, a lot of singer songwriters with just an acoustic guitar and, and no drum set and just kind of went with that all day. And, uh, and then we went from that to the metal and punk stage, probably about, uh, I don't know, 2007, something like that. And is that the key is just, I mean, with music, you can't, you can't please everybody. So do you just, as, as a Hempfest crew, you try and spread the genres out uh, between all yeah. the stages kind of, and then hopefully yeah. people will. Yeah, we do. Um, and we the... had, a, we had a lot of, uh, what I call rap music. That's just, uh, you know, it, it, it's not metal. <laughs> it, was, it was just rap music. And we've been, we've been kind of like moving rap around from stage to stage uh seaweed stage has had some country music we had um relatives of willie nelson play there oh cool um yeah because we would willie would love to come we would love to have willie 
uh, Willie's people are not so interested and security forces like, oh, because <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but uh, there are some strange people that follow around Willie Nelson and try to meet him. Really? And, and before and, and his park, cannabis. And that part could be really hard to just sort of keep him isolated. Oh, I bet. You almost need to put him in like the Pope style shielding or something. But he's just doing. About, yeah, I, we'd have to get a little Pope mobile to take him in. Yeah, out, the Willie uh, Nelson mobile. Well, it was like when we had when we had Woody Harrelson there in uh, 2000, 2000, I think it was. No, it was 03. That was Harrel- my first hemp fest, and I met him there at, at a High Times get together. Yeah, two thousand three, and and it was uh, it was like people were literally like climbing up the the fence until the fence started to collapse, just trying to get in. It was it was just insane. When even and, at, yeah, at the just, party, it almost seemed I I kind of felt bad for him because everybody wanted to pitch their idea to him, and he was just there looking like he just wanted to smoke some weed and just hang out, and it was like nonstop people. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And that's the problem with celebrities is that all these people have been waiting their entire life to meet them and, and you know, and, they're, and you get hundreds of them at once. Yeah. And how can you live up to that? I mean, as a celebrity yourself, like there's no way I, I couldn't personally live up to somebody's expectations that have been drug out for, you know, decades or something. I, I can't imagine that. Yeah. You just can't leave your house. Well, I think there's a Chinese proverb that says – uh Something to the effect of uh, the worst thing is to be famous. I I would agree with that definitely. I mean, you I think, think it's great, I'm, but I'm then... kind of glad uh, that uh, Vivian the whole spotlight on this hemp fest thing, and I can just kind of you know go and have fun and be on the stage, and it's not the main stage, so it's not that big a deal. But one and then day... I can you know, just kind of retreat off and do my own life. <laughs> How was uh, how was going back to work? You do still have your job. You mentioned you've lost jobs over Hempfest you know, before. It was the dangest thing. I came in and people were like, oh, we're glad you're back. And I'm like, really? Because you <laughs> sure didn't act that way before. So, yeah, I guess they missed me when I was gone. So, And they even uh, we had a little meeting today for my department, and, and we kind of uh, talked. I mentioned a few things that I wanted, and they're like, oh, okay, like a, a file cabinet. <laughs> they're like, yeah, okay, we can get you that. I'm like, wow, really? That's really nice so, of you yeah. guys. <laughs> do you do uh, – yeah, It's kind of strange to go from – I mean, when I'm at that stage, it's like everybody there pays attention to me. I'm kind of in charge of the whole crew. I try to let everybody run their own thing. But, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty damned important. I'm speaking on the microphone and everybody's listening to me. I go to work and I'm like the, the entry-level lowest guy in my department. <laughs> and, and I have so to like do if, everything everybody says and say sir, and so it's like kind of like a little culture shock to go back to work. It's a testament to the the societal niches we we get ourselves into. I think like if you guys only knew yeah. what I'm really like in my other life, you know. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's like it, it makes a lot of the I mean, you know, a lot of the tough things I at work just sort of slough off because I'm like, you know, this isn't really what I do. I'm just you know, I'm just here for the money. You guys stop paying me, I leave. Yeah, the uh, Mary Prankster thing always kind of stuck with me about having uh, lots of different tricks. And this this job, and me as a lawyer, is one trick. And me as this other person in this other job is another trick. And it's like we all just yeah. – we do these tricks every day. Yeah, that's I, a good point. I, I like seeing the bus. I did uh, the further bus or the second or third iteration of it uh, was there. And that that was kind of a seminal read for me when I was growing up was the the Tom Wolfe's uh, electric Kool Aid yeah acid electric Kool Aid acid test I, I have just, a copy of it oh man um, seeing the bus there and I peeked my head in and I'm not super like oh spiritual energy and all this but man I got the chills when I looked in there and, yeah. and it's amazing so much history yeah 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 and it's been there several years in a row. Um, yeah, they had a Facebook group, and you could watch as they were restoring it. I remember. Uh huh. Pretty cool. Do you uh, you get out to any other festivals? That uh, I know the some of the people that do barter fair, like they also do their job at other uh, get-togethers and festivals. Or is is this just the the one a year you do? Well, I used to do everything. I used to work. You know, I'd go all four days to Bumbershoot and Oregon Country Fair and. You know the End Fest and and uh, Lollapalooza and as many things as I see fair. I mean, I did all that stuff, but 
as Hempfist got bigger and became more of my time, uh, and I get older and I get more tired, <laughs> I don't really want to do all these things anymore. I still, I was doing several Hempfests. I like, I used to go to the Humboldt Hempfest in Garberville, right? And I used to go to the Missoula Hempfest and uh, Olympia Hempfest, and I, those have all kind of sloughed off. I still go to the Moscow Idaho Hempfest. This was the first I went to Boise Hempfest, and I'm probably going to go back again. And let's talk about uh, that for a minute. There's uh, Ryan who introduced us, uh, was working yeah. at your stage. Uh, he ended up actually writing an article for the, the magazine about the Boise Hemp Fest and, and what it was like there. And uh, do you have any any thoughts on it? I mean, that's a complete almost zero tolerance state as far as no medical, no yeah. rep, obviously. And, and the cops have been on record saying, like, they're going to look for people with these out of state plates and we're going to come get you. You know, we know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they do that. Um, it's Idaho. Well, the Idaho legislature tried to pass a law saying that it was illegal to try to get an initiative to legalize marijuana. Wow. <laughs> I mean, they just uh, they. Russ Belleville was there, and Russ Belleville, oddly enough, you, you may have heard of him. He he he's got the Russ Belleville show. Yeah, he Radical was on the Russ. last he episode. He was uh, of the, sponsored uh, by Normal for a long time. Yep. He travels all over the country. He does way more more festivals than I more hemp fest sort of things than I do. Oh, he's everywhere. But he's, <laughs> he's from, he's from Boise. That's where he grew up yep. and he went back there and he was like on fire. You know, he was so interesting to listen to there. And he basically said, you know, he's been to all these places like Alabama where they're like, you know, we'll be the last place to legalize med- medical marijuana. Right. And he's like, Oh really? Cause you haven't been to Idaho and Idaho is really, and that's why I go, because it's like, that's the front line. That's where we're really making a difference. That's where we're saying things that people, that's where people come up to the stage and look at me while I'm talking, say, you're full of crap. You know, it's, it's an addictive drug. It's a gateway drug. My, my son died of heroin overdoses because of uh hemp fest, because of, he smoked pot, you know, and you just, I'm just flabbergasted. It's like, you don't hear that in Seattle anymore. I mean, people in Seattle know they, you know, they don't even try to talk about gateway drugs and stuff like that. This, you know, that all that dare nonsense is, is passe, but in Idaho, there's still a lot of people that believe it. And that's, I mean, it's, it's too bad. I, I feel like there is so much good that can come from this plant and an open, you know, educated viewpoint on it. And that's not what we're getting in some of these States. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, scientists don't write legislation. Legislation, no, all written that's... by legislators who are mostly trained as lawyers. And lawyers um, come to a conclusion first, and then they support it with facts to make their case. Whereas scientists look at the facts and then try to come to a conclusion. It's kind of a, a backwards, thing. and that's our country's run by that by people that they already know what they want, and then they try to explain it. I feel like if we would have had the internet sooner, <laughs> they wouldn't have gotten away with it as long. <laughs> but yeah. That's all right. And it is I, – I liked your point about, you know, this is the front line because we do – living in Washington or Oregon or Colorado or Alaska, any of these states that have it, we kind of get lulled into this false sense of, oh, weed's legal. Like it's legal everywhere. And it's like, no, it's yeah. not. And I mean Seattle Hemp Fest is amazing. It's a fantastic experience, but it's almost preaching to the choir at this point. You know, it's, you're not changing people's minds anymore. And that's, I mean, the point of a protestable, you gotta, you know, there's some sort of protest there. I feel like at this point now, everyone here, I mean, they know there are issues though, right. Within what's happening here. I mean, medical. Yeah. We still, uh, well, hemp test has like a, 20 point plan of things we want to change uh, starting with get it off the federal schedule and uh, stop the international treaties, release all the pot prisoners, uh, expunge records, and then going down to simplistic things like we don't really like the packaging in the recreational store. I don't understand why it seems like the market could sort that stuff out, right? If your packaging sucks, people are just not going to buy your, your material after a while. I, I, you definitely don't need the government coming in and saying, oh, this is this is OK and this is not when it comes to this sort of thing. 
really odd uh, rules in Washington compared to Oregon. Uh, I've been speaking with the Grow for Vets people, and in Oregon, they have this great thing where they can take donations of cannabis or money, and they can go get cannabis with that money, and then they can give it to the veterans that need it. In Washington, just the way 502 is written, that's illegal. And so when people get lulled into this sense of, oh, everything's okay because cannabis is legal, you have to remember the fight's not over. And you did, you mentioned the 25 points of the platform uh, that uh, is in the front of the HempFest program. And I think those are all hugely relevant points that that's where we need to focus our attention next. Yeah, and that's the thing is that a lot of people were, were asking that very question of, you know, why do we still have a HempFest? What are you trying to accomplish? And so the steering committee sat down and they said, well, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And they came up with a long list. Um, Descheduling, I mean, right at the top of the list, of course. That has to happen before anything else can move forward. I mean, that's that's the one thing, the federal schedule. I mean, you get rid of that and we can do banking. We can have an actual open market. I mean, there's so much good that will come from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The banking thing was another another problem that uh, that we have on the on our list, and uh, and the problem in Washington State is that uh, you you know after uh, you know lying in bed with your wife, if you light a joint and you pass it to her, that is illegal because you are sharing, and the only way you can get marijuana is from the licensed distributor. And that goes for your wife, too. You, the two of you cannot buy some in conjunction and use it together. And that's so weird. Is that just overlooking or is that, like, written into law on purpose? That, that's written in the law. It wasn't written in the law on purpose. Um, when Alison Holcomb wrote 502, you know, she didn't talk to any of us about what she wanted. She wrote this all down based on what she thought would pass. And this was the very first piece of legalization, you know, for recreational use that ever passed in the United States. This in Colorado passed the same day. And, you know, she really was being very cautious, and she put a lot of things in there to try to make it seem okay to the conservative voters. And one of them was this, you know, you can only get it from the state thing. Uh, Another drawback in Washington State uh, compared to like Oregon and Colorado is that uh, our dispensaries were not licensed. Our dispensaries were running strictly on their own. They weren't regulated by the government in any way outside of paying taxes uh, for sales tax um, and setting up a business license as a business, but they didn't have any kind of regulation for what a medical dispensary should be. It wasn't any kind of oversight for that on the state. So Colorado and Oregon already had that. So they could take their licensed and regulated dispensaries, change the licenses and make them recreational dispensaries. Whereas in Washington state, the way the law was written, they wanted to make sure all the, all the cannabis that was grown for distribution was going to be grown in Washington state, which I think is a really good idea. However, they, you know, they, they had to, you, you had to have a license to grow it, and it had to be grown from the seed and then sent to a processing plant. So all the medical marijuana in all the dispensaries was not legal under uh, recreational law because it wasn't grown by, you know, from the seed as a Washington State regulated uh, cannabis. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like it, it kind of sounds like a good idea, but then when it gets into practice, it's like, oh, holy cow. You know, you just, uh, you just, you know. They also tried to uh, come up with some sort of side part of that where it's like if the police confiscated any ma- medical marijuana that was not grown and regulated by the state, that then they could uh, confiscate that, which means they didn't have to pay for it, and then they could turn it over to the dispensary, the, the recreational stores, to be sold. And, I, and, and everybody was like going, you're going to do what? You're going to steal everybody's pot and then turn around and sell it for profit at, for the, the profit stores. That, luckily, that regulation didn't fly very fast. It's very... Uh... But, yeah, there's all, all kinds of little things like that. Now that it's, you know, once it got written and passed by the voters, then all of a sudden it gets interpreted by the Washington State Liquor Control Board, 
which I've never been a big fan um, of the Washington State Liquor Control Board. I I worked as an event staff, you know, having worked at HempFest for a while, I thought, well, I should try to get a job doing this. <laughs> and I worked for a lot of other events like uh, Seafair and Bumbershoot and uh, and hockey games and things like that as an event staff. And I worked a lot of beer gardens. I checked a lot of IDs. Uh, and and I just came up against, you know, I, we had to, as a beer garden, enforce the rules of the Washington State Liquor Control Board. Like, everyone has to have ID. I don't care if he's 90 years old and obviously coming in with a walker, he still has to have ID, you know. Um, and that's kind of weird. That's yeah, like produce, slippery slope. It is kind almost. of weird, but it's, it's, the whole, it's the whole thing. It's like their whole reason to be is to regulate and so they just regulate the crap out of everything um when i was working at seafair the washington state liquor control board said that you know they don't want drunk people swimming because they could drown so if you had a beer in your hand and you were standing in the water even if it was only up over your ankles you could that was not allowed because that was considered drunken swimming you were in the water with alcohol and it's it's the so, substance, right? Like you, you're only having to police that because that is a substance that, yeah, people might drown if they go out there, and that sucks because just be here and have a good time. That's what we're here for. But then having to enforce all of these extraneous rules, just it's like why even bother in the yeah. first place? Then almost and it, so. So when it when they they wrote 502 and they they mentioned that they wanted to have the liquor control board regulated, I was like, do you have any idea? I mean, did you talk to the liquor control board about this ahead of time? Do you have any idea what they're going to do? Do they have any idea what they're going to do? And, and obviously, they passed the law, and the liquor control board had no idea. They went six months to a year without even pretending to try to regulate marijuana because they didn't think that was their job. And uh, and then when they did come up with it, they were like, well, it's an illegal drug, so we're going to regulate it by not allowing any stores to be licensed to sell it. So that'll be great. And, yeah, it uh, Washington State just looked really stupid. Even even though it's legal to have marijuana in Washington State, you can't smoke it here. Um, if you are living in another state and you think it would be a great idea to come to Washington and buy some weed, you can come here. You can show your ID, even if it's an ID from another state. And if you're over 21, you can buy it. But you can't smoke it in the store where you buy it, and you can't smoke it on the sidewalk, and you can't smoke it in 20, within 25 feet of a doorway. You can't smoke it in your rental car, and you can't smoke it in your hotel room. And there are no licensed cannabis cafes where you can smoke it in the state of Washington. That's not allowed. And you can't smoke it in any place that has ever served alcohol, even if they're not serving alcohol at the time, just because they can't smoke marijuana where you serve alcohol. So unless you know somebody in Washington state that has a private residence that you can smoke it in, you can't smoke it here. And if it is a private residence, you better hope that the landlord or it's not public housing. You can't smoke it in public housing. And you better hope that the landlord allows smoking marijuana. If it's like some apartment building or something, a lot of times they don't want to allow that there either. That's so insane to me. And, and I don't know is why was the liquor control board put in charge of this? Like it seems to me that, a, a committee of people in the industry and then a doctor or two and maybe a lawyer or two like could get together and bypass a lot of these issues. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's just how, like you were saying, you have to write it so that the most people will agree with it. And I, I guess that's, it's either that or nothing. Um, as far as all the other states, do you, I hear, and from what I've experienced firsthand, Oregon seems to have it figured out the best as far as being able to handle medical and recreational. Uh, I can't speak to Colorado because I haven't been there since they have legalized it. So I'm not sure how well that is uh, working out. But um, yeah. Well, I, and this is the whole thing is it's the whole one step forward, two steps back right. sort of approach. Um, I've heard, I, I don't live in Oregon, but I've heard that Oregon is starting to, they're starting to set up regulations that are going to make it harder and harder to have a cannabis cafe or have a medical dispensary there. 
And, you know, at first when they went, all the dispensaries went legal and they could sell to anyone over 21, it was just like, oh, hey, hooray, you know, and they were just selling it all over the place. But now they're starting to over-regulate there. And uh, California's got something on the ballot in November, and a lot of people are worried that there might be some loopholes in that law. Um, you know, when we passed 502 here in the state of Washington, everybody was like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a DUI D for, you know, marijuana where you can get pulled over and they can test you for marijuana. But that'll never happen. You know, it's like, oh, a police officer can't take a blood test to find out how high you are. But sure enough, you know, they're doing it. And, uh, you know, the same thing with the closing down all the dispensaries. You said, oh, yeah, they, they, you know, there's nothing in the law that says they have to. It's like, no, but if they want to, they can. And it's just the whole... You know, we're still fighting this freaking drug war. That's all I can say. There's yeah. still a lot of ignorance. There's still a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of that uh, tough-on-crime thing from the 80s that we're still having to have backlash from. And Which seems you know, so... It's weird to me because if all of those programs would have worked the way they said they would have, none of this would be happening. Obviously, your D.A.R.E. program and your Just Say No and all, all of those programs that got resources and money thrown into them they were all nonsense yeah, it's, it's easy as just saying no we were all said no and it would be done by now right yeah no, exactly exactly <laughs> yeah and i'll tell you i've been to the the two I've, I've been to the cannabis club that's in salem i haven't been to the portland one yet though i have a card and i'm, I'm excited to see it and in Montana, I've been to a lot of bars, and I don't drink, so my experience at the bar is very different from a lot of uh, people that go there to party. And, man, I would much rather own the establishment that catered to cannabis people. I would much rather visit the establishment that catered to cannabis people over alcohol. It is just – it's night and day. And to say that, oh, having a public place for you to consume is – dangerous and it's going to hurt society it's like well look at all of your bars i mean how can you have that double standard did i tell you about the boise hemp fest uh briefly you know, but um, tell, tell us again definitely about the bike riding and all that the, yeah the, the yeah the tour de fat the bicycle drunken bicyclists seem to take all the police there i i was quite quite happy to hear about that yeah uh, and that, i didn't see any police there at all and apparently, if there had been any, they were just sort of wandered through the crowd. How was the vibe there? Were, was it tense? Were people uptight and kind of anxious and nervous? Or was it a laid-back, fun... I mean, it was obviously fun, I'm sure, but like, how, how tense it was, was it? It was totally laid-back and fun. At one point, I sat at the edge of the stage, and I held out the microphone. I said, can anybody give me a medical use of cannabis? And this is in Idaho, where there is no medical use of cannabis. I held out the microphone, and I must have had 25 people come up with 25 different ailments. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, just, you know, I'd hand out the microphone, and they would just, like, go chronic pain. And the next guy would say, you know. Uh, glaucoma um, or nausea or anti-seizures. Or, <laughs> you know, anxiety. Yeah, it was just like, it was just a long list of Crohn's disease. I mean, people just kept coming up and saying different diseases that were helped with cannabis. And it was like, this is amazing. I here in Boise where we've never had a hemp fest. People know the truth. They know it's medicine. Yep. They're it's on just the a same matter. internet sites we're and on. Is, and, yeah. When we were, uh, when we were legalizing medical cannabis in, in the state of Washington and uh, back in 98 or maybe even 96 was the first time. And I was going around with a petition and getting signatures in, in different places and and I was surprised at the time because I was younger and I thought that, you know, the people that smoked pot were younger and would, would sign the thing. But I was surprised when people with gray hair would sign it, people in business suits would sign it, people with professional degrees would sign it. Um, my my parents' minister signed it. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my eye doctor signed it. Uh, my... Uh, you know, people, young, old, rich, poor, minorities, white people. It's just one of those things, right? Everybody, was signing. Everyone has Everybody was signing it. The only group of people that didn't think that it was a good idea 
was elected legislators. Oh, interesting. Every single one of them said, oh, this is absolutely no, we cannot ever legalize marijuana. And what was their basis for that? What was their basis in reality for their reasoning? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you have... Yeah, and it's unfortunate, because they're supposed to be representing everybody. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, they're representing something that's a myth. They're they're representing this D.A.R.E. program, you know, drug... uh, reefer madness thing that, that that just doesn't exist anymore it is it's negative rhetoric and it just shows how outdated or how much they just don't care right some people just it's just not a thing well, and, and, but if you're making and how rules, slow the government changes it just right. changes so incredibly slowly it's just sad it's it's definitely painful and, definitely you know i it's Part of why I do this is because I think that the government needs to listen to the people. I think this is the most glaring, obviously, thing that I can make a difference on where the government has to stand up and take notice to what the people want. This is the only thing that where you you have to have an initiative to get the legislators to pay attention to this. Yeah, you know, and it's that's... like they just won't do it on their own. That's I, one positive to this, and I noticed in Montana uh, specifically, but uh, other places I'm sure as well. But people that normally don't pay attention to politics, this has made them start paying attention. And they're realizing that a lot of these people that say they speak for the citizens, they don't. And a lot of them run unopposed. So the next go yeah. around, some of these people are not going to have – uh, an easy time as they have been having, uh, keeping their, their throne, so to speak. We saw that in Clarkston. No, it, it is true. And, uh, that's in, here in Seattle, in my district in North Seattle, um, pretty much if you become a democratic representative for this district in Olympia, you will be, it's for as long as you want to do it. It's very rare that anybody gets challenged. Uh, Republicans don't get elected in this district. And so once you're a Democrat and you're an incumbent, you have that name recognition and you just go year after year after year for the rest of your life until you want to retire. Job security. And, uh, and trying to get these guys to listen to us, even though, you know, we've got the popular, you know, the people behind us, it's, uh, it's hard to get them to listen. You know, they're, they're busy with their own private projects and that's what they're going to deal with. Well, and more than the people, we have the facts. I mean, the truth behind us. Yeah. What's uh? What do you see happening? Do you think this is going to get sorted out anytime soon, or is this just going to be the longest, most drawn-out war ever, war on drugs? Oh, well, I don't know. In 1998, when we got medical marijuana and the uh, in- National Institute of Health came out uh, showing with their long longitudinal study that uh, that there was no um, there was no gateway drug theory there was it was it was disproved the gateway drug theory that there was no addiction and there was no I mean I thought in 98 you know we had it wrapped up and then uh, and then in 2000 I saw that the presidential election was rigged and there was nothing we could do about it and then a lot of other things I mean we went it it was an uphill battle for the next eight years. It was a very – we went from having four medical marijuana states to eight years later, I think we had nine, which I think was pretty good considering, you know, what the drawbacks were. But, uh, yeah, it was really slow there. And it's it's been picking up a lot for the last eight years. we got 25 medical marijuana states now. Uh, we've got CBD oil, I think, is legal in all states nationally. Um but we still, I mean, that's only half the states, folks. I mean, we still have a lot of places that are all through the south and the Midwest. It's it's going to be hard for people to get the truth and, and vote it in. It's, it's almost going to be like a herd immunity thing where all of the states around, like, Idaho or Utah will have seen the light and they will have been inoculated from all of this ignorance. And eventually, I mean, you just have to. I, I don't see how you can fight truth and evidence and the people's voice that that long you know I, I i don't see it yeah and that was what was so funny is when i went to my very first tempest in 1990 and uh or 91 
And, you know, they were like saying, you know, marijuana should be legal. Mar- and I was like going, it's 1991. I mean, I remember back in the 70s when normal started, it was like, yeah, they're going to legalize marijuana. Obviously, we all knew it wasn't harmful. And and I was like, yeah, it seems kind of funny that here in, you know, 1990, it's 1991, that it's still illegal. It didn't make any sense. It should have legalized itself, and yet instead, you know, the whole drug war thing was going the other direction. And, uh, but, and so I was like, well, if we just get the truth out there, if we just get the facts out there, if we yeah. just get the science out Educate there so people can see it, then all this will just go away. <laughs> I mean, we thought, like I said, you know, by 98, it seemed like, oh, well, yeah, the truth is out there. Everybody's reading the books. Everybody's seeing the, the, the studies, and it'll just turn the corner. And so now for us to say, well, yeah, we got 25 medical marijuana states. It's so obvious that it's going to happen. It's like, yeah, it seems obvious to us, but uh, – That obviousness well, has some legs to it. Ian Eisenberg. Ian Eisenberg store called Uncle Ike's, and I think he's opening up a couple other. It's a recreational marijuana store. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I saw him speaking to a group of Democrats, and he was saying that, uh, you know, he, he had legal marijuana. This was legal marijuana. He was selling it totally legally, and everything was going to be great, and, you know, he was going to raise tax dollars for everybody, and they should just do everything he says and, and get rid of that damn black market dispensary mar- medical marijuana and, and just let him sell it totally legally and everything be great. And, and I was like, you know, any federal agent could walk into your store and arrest you any day of the week for manufacturing and distributing an, an illegal narcotic because federally it's an illegal narcotic and he does not have any defense at all federally. And one thing, I mean, we got 25 medical marijuana states. We got five recreational marijuana states. One thing could change all of that, and that's a president that really wants to go after them all. If yep. Chris Christie had become president, oh, it'd be over. Um, yeah, that was his vow as president. He in his nomination when when he was a candidate, he was saying, "You elect me, I'll get rid of all this stupid recreational marijuana. Those states will be closed down. They'll all be arrested." Right, and as uh, he's stuffing his... after that, his campaign died. I, I don't think it's a coincidence. Yeah, and that's that tells you that there is definitely something larger at play. And I don't want to sound like the crazy conspiracy theory guy, but when they fight back so hard against something that is so blatantly obvious, like there is something greater at work here. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's corruption yeah. at the highest level. I mean, yeah. Oh, well, that's what we're yeah, here well, for. Get the education out, get the information out, and eventually we will see this through, and we can get back to our normal lives of actually enjoying, you know, what what our day-to-day is like instead of living in fear, I mean, depending on where you live. Where can... Yeah, people... I was realizing that today that I'm a lot like a hobbit. I mean, now that... Now that Hemp Fest is over, it's like just like a hobbit. I just want to sit at home and eat some good food and smoke some good smoke and sit by the fire and relax. But I've got this damn pesky ring that i got to get rid of. <laughs> I'm going to be out on the road of, and, and doing adventures again, and I don't want to. Uh, but that's that's just what i got to do. It's weird. It pulls us. It, like We're attracted to that because... I, for whatever reason, you know, everyone has their own reason. It's just something that unites all of us that we all agree on. Cannabis, man. Yeah. So where uh, where can people? You have like a, a website or anything for your stage, or is it? I mean, it's all on the Hempfest website. But do you do anything uh, more individually, or? No, I. I tried to get a Facebook page up for our stage once, but it uh, it never really caught on. Nobody really wanted to. I, I didn't. I didn't know how to get the people that came to the stage to get on the on the Facebook page, so it, it didn't really take off. Right, right. And you were uh, you came up playing. You were a drummer, if I recall, uh, and playing in quite a f- quite a few bands. Do you still play? Do you jam I, at all? Or I mean, yeah, I play. I I've, I've been in a band. We practice. You know couple times a month or so and 
Do you guys have a hand in? I, I haven't. We haven't played a show in a long time, though. We're just more for our own amusement. That's awesome, though. <laughs> yeah, we play music, but you guys can't hear it. So, <laughs> uh, do you guys play Hempfest ever? Do I what? Do you you and your band ever play at Hempfest? I mean, I know you've played in the past, but I with was your current. Group? I was in a band that played Hempfest two thousand. Oh, okay, but not since. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to try and book you for the Kevin Black stage next year. <laughs> um, no, but that'll be fun, definitely, to get some recordings up and and all that. There's a lot of great speakers and a lot of fantastic messages that should be. I mean, this is history, right? This should be recorded so that when we are all done with this, we can look back and be like, look how silly we were with our. Silly war on drugs, on inanimate objects. It's such silly people. It's for posterity's sake. And you, you, you have a thankless job, man. We do, all of us, appreciate what you and everybody else at that festival do. You take away from your lives to go put that on, and it, it's a great time. I've, I've gone twice now, uh, once in 03 and once just uh, recently here. It's a great time every time. So thank you very much. Well, good. I'm glad you had a good time. Uh, like I said, uh, volunteering for Hempfest has been the greatest experience of my life, and I certainly want to keep doing it as much as I can. I, the people that I met there, the people that I work with there, are like family. They they seem like they always have my back. They always impress the hell out of me as, as to how much work they do. Um, and it's it's a constant flow. I mean, it's like there's. There's some people who have been there a long time like me, but there's some people who are like new that they've just started this year or last year and they're really excited and they're making a great contribution and and we enjoy having everybody there. It takes a ton of people to make it go smoothly and and good people at that. But we'll definitely be there again next year. And Uh, we're always looking for people with uh, talent and inspirations. Uh, we're always looking for people that have, you know, you know, maybe you're a, maybe you're a CPA or maybe you're a, you know, media consultant or maybe you're a, a graphic artist or a web designer. I mean, there's so many little things that need to be done that haven't been addressed. Uh, we've got large holes in our in our organization where people come in. It's like, well, why haven't you been you know, why haven't you got somebody that's uh, running your Twitter account for you or, you know, whatever else? And we're like, because nobody's doing it. You know, it's the rest of us are all busy doing everything else. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, people step in. I'm still so totally amazed. I think it was shortly after I started volunteering. This guy came in and he said, well, what needs to be done? And, and somebody said, well, we don't, you know, we need to have somebody make a map so we can know where to put all the vendors because before that, vendors just kind of showed up and, and dropped wherever they were. And, you know, and they were all, like, buying for who gets what space. Right. It's like if we had a map, we could, you know, sell their vending space based on where they're supposed to be. This guy went out and made a map that has so many different layers of where all the sprinkler heads are, where all the bushes are, where oh, all wow. the trees are, where the, you know, everything. And they went to a permit meeting with the city and the city was like, where did you guys get this map? This is better than any map we have of this of this park. And that's just, I think, just an example of the kind of thing where, you know, you may think you don't really have, like, any kind of intense talent or, oh, you can't really, you know, or you do something. You may have some little teeny talent that will help Hempfest out so much. It's always that missing part to the puzzle. Uh, and y- people can yes. do that on the website, correct? They can sign up and volunteer and, and get in touch with the, the proper yeah. coordinator. Yeah. Uh, you can drop into Hempfest Central uh, here in North Seattle and just visit with the people. We, we, don't, we have limited hours because we haven't had uh, enough volunteers to keep the store open all the time. But um, you can drop in and talk to people. You can... You can, uh, if you have an idea of something you think Hempfest should do, you can mail it or email it to speakers at Hemp, or I mean, steering at Hempfest.org. They're always fielding different ideas of what people think they could do, or proposals for how to reorganize stuff. 
Um, or you can, like, yeah, you can sign up as a volunteer, or you can write an email. Hempfest. Yeah, the Internet's wide open. That's a great way to get in touch with us. Yep, hempfest.org. They have a Facebook page. We'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes at hotboxpodcast.com. Steve Fun, thanks, man. I appreciate all the time you've made to come and kick it with us and tell us some stories. I'd definitely like to get you back some some time and hear some more stories from uh, previous Hemp Fest days gone by. <laughs> I'm always fascinated yeah. by that sort of stuff. It, it it's always really awesome to me. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, like uh, 2004 through 2008, I I went. I I kind of made it my mission to get to every Hemp Fest. I went to uh, Jacksonville Beach, Florida. I went to Ohio. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of got around. I really wanted to go to the Boston Freedom Rally, but that, that never really came to, didn't really ever work out. But there's, you know, a lot of stuff going on. Nowadays, there's like a ton of things going on. Oh, man, um, so many. <laughs> and it, I'm hoping that I can speak at Portland Hempstock that's coming up, up uh, in just a couple of weeks right after Labor Day in Portland. Yep. And then Alaska's got their Canacon coming up. Um, I, I just recently actually yeah. put together a calendar of all these events because I'm trying to cover them for the magazine. And, man, there is it is like every weekend there is something going on, whether it's in Colorado or L.A. or, or Oregon or Washington. I mean, it's just getting to that point, which is exciting to see. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I used to do a calendar, too. It is It does get it's there's many, many more things on there now than there used to be. Yeah. It's only going to keep getting bigger. That's only this many states. Yeah, I never made it to Ann Arbor Hash Bash either. That would be a fun one to go to. But yeah. I can never figure out when the Ann Arbor Hash Bash was. It's like kind of it's a, one of those floating events, and I didn't quite nail when it was. Yeah, you got to follow the right Twitter account I think it's at like the right May- time to, to get the notification. Oh, maybe it's April Fool's. I think it's around April Fool's Day. That could be. They have a challenge. And then there was another one that was like the Great Northern Hemp Exposition or something like that that I never really got to. Now you could make a road trip. And of course, there's a hemp hoedown in uh, (laughs) North Dakota, I think. Oh, wow. That's where those things need to be, though. Those prohibition states still. Like, they're the ones that need the message and the education. So. That's right. Well, thanks again, Steve. I'll let you go, and we'll uh, wrap this up. And I hope we talk to you soon, and we'll definitely see you at the next Hempfest, hopefully providing some uh, video support for you guys. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, we would love to have uh, video or audio or any any kind of way we can get this information out on the web because that park is already full to capacity, and we need to get this information out to as many people on the Internet as we can. Most definitely. I I appreciate everything you do, man. Thank you again for the time. Well, thank you for getting in touch with me. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. We will will keep in touch for sure. All right. Have a great night, Steve. Steve Fun, Seattle Hempfest, core. To the core. He's been doing it since the very beginning, so... I uh, got a great article uh, from when we sat down and chatted with Mr. Fun there at uh, the 25th anniversary hemp fest that just got done uh, this last weekend. So check that out coming out on cannabisjournal.com. It'll probably be in the print magazine, not the website, but you never know what they're going to post on the website. Uh, and there's also audio from that interview. Uh, so I'll reach out to Steve and just make sure that that's okay, uh, and we'll just post the the audio from the actual uh, hemp fest, and you'll have a nice little before and and after. So that's uh, for me, Mattley Hotboxpodcast.com, Hotbox dot Earth. Get a hold of us: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at the Jam Hole, and uh, Hotbox Podcast. So check it out. Uh, we got some great reviews coming up soon. Stuff stoners like. Uh, we got the Sesh Supply Aphrodite, the dual propeller fab perk, kind of one of my new go-to dab rigs at the moment. Uh, and then we have the Gilded Glass double shower perk beaker bong review coming up. Um, but the one, the Aphrodite, should be up on StuffStarsLike.com here soon. And then tomorrow, uh, we're going to Chihalis, 
We're going to go hang out with the aging ant uh, for the Marijuana Encyclopedia podcast. I've been saving up a lot of gear. I'll tell you what. We got all the new Vuber stuff. We got all the vaporous stuff. We got some source vape, the new orb. We got all all the things. We're going to we're going to test out all the things. I'm going to bring a bunch of glass. We're going to make some videos. We're going to do some reviews and uh, it's going to be a good time. So Marijuana Encyclopedia, check that out. Uh, we'll be doing that tomorrow around 1 p.m. Pacific time. And uh yeah, if it's not live, I'll try and bring something uh to make it live. I mean, we'll do it live, right? So, all right, Hotbox Daughter, thank you guys. Peace out. Big fat Hi. doobies. I'm Steve Fun and I I've been working with Seattle Hempfest for 20 years now. I've been to all the Seattle Hempfest. This is our 25th anniversary. Um, right somehow it just clicked with me as something I wanted to do. This is what I live my entire life all year long, just to come and do this this one week of set up, tear down, and three days of festival. And it's, it's what I do. I love it. I have met more cool people, more people that I feel are closer than friends that are family. And and we've lost a lot of people. I mean, we renamed this stage, the Kevin Black Memorial Stage for a man. He was my, he was my roommate for six months while he had cancer. And uh, I felt like he was a brother to me. He was a brother to a lot of us. It's very tragic when he passed away. What what got you started into the Hempfest? Like, what were you doing before so, uh, that? So the very first Hempfest I went to was the very first Hempfest in Volunteer Park. And you got to realize this is 1991, so it was like the height of the grunge era. Right, right. I was a drummer in a band for several bands before that and uh when it so when the music scene exploded i was just like right in the middle of it i my band was playing we played with a lot of other bands i met a lot of bands so one band that i really liked um uh bone cellar was playing at this hemp fest and so i was going to all these bone cellar shows so i went it was free so i went it was nearly i love going to outdoor concerts right, right. you know um it's not. It, they didn't have a smoking ban inside the bars back then, and it was. They would get so smoky while you're you're watching some band, and everybody's drinking and spilling beer on the ground, and it's just a whole. It's not really a good atmosphere compared to like like Outdoor, Hempfest is yeah. outdoors, and sunshine, and happiness, and uh, you know, even if people are smoking, it's going away. So it was really different. And I really liked that, and I went, and I you know, just to see the bands. And then Gary Cook, the the founder of Hempfest, gets up and he's talking about how, you know, we need to legalize marijuana. And I'm like, sure, you know, I wasn't smoking marijuana at the time, but I had smoked it before. I had friends that smoked marijuana. And it was like, I knew that it wasn't addicting and I knew right. that it wasn't going to kill you by an overdose. And, and so, you know, and he's saying all that. He was saying it's ridiculous that in this day and age, it's still illegal. And I was like, oh, you know, that makes sense. But I was like, but they'll never legalize it. Right, right. But I've always been kind of a champion of lost causes. And I went to several other Hempfests to hear the music. And I kept hearing the thing. And the thing that sold me was when Gary Cook held up a, a piece of a board that was made out of hemp. And he says, you can make boards out of hemp. He says, you can make paper out of hemp. You can make paper out of hemp. I was working in a print shop. And I had like kind of a guilt thing going on with you know how many trees had to die so I could have my job. And I'm like, him, you know, it was like an answer to me. Yeah. Because um, I didn't care. I didn't smoke pot, so I didn't care about that. Medicinal uses, we barely knew anything about at all. I mean, there's like glaucoma. Glaucoma was the only medical use back then. Yeah. So it was really kind of, you know, it was kind of an aha moment when I found out there was that many industrial uses. I knew that they had made rope out of it. My dad told me that when I was in Boy Scouts. So you were like, I'm going to take on DuPont with this cannabis plant once we re-legalize it? Or DuPont what was hadn't the... even been started back then. This was 25 years ago. In 91? Okay, maybe it was around, but it wasn't yeah, yeah. what it is now. Right, yeah. <laughs> or at least we didn't know as much about it. It was, yeah, it was a much more naive time. It was so easy to get really good, like, national bands almost. Right. You know, some of the bands that were about to break nationally or could have broken nationally, but they, you know, broke up. So many of these bands would just like gladly play for free yeah. um, it was really and then I went to the one in 1994 in Gasworks Park and it was so huge it was one of the biggest re group of people I'd ever seen in one place for any reason and I realized <laughs> it's more than just the music because of cannabis it's because of the cannabis oh, cool. so uh, which back then we called marijuana yeah so uh, so we I, call it weed but you know I in the also, journal they call it pot but in any yeah. case I also was in a band you know and I was seeing like wow here's this huge concert we can play so I started volunteering 
just so that I could, you know, get into the thing so my right, band right, could play. And right. finally, in the year 2000, my band, Life Without Sun, at the time, uh, we played at uh, a stage that no longer exists in Hempfest. It was the RC's, there used to be a place called RC's Pizza. Okay. It's where the Seattle Art Museum uh, Sculpture Park is. Yeah. Uh, it was a reformed Shakey's. Um, and we played there on the stage. It was actually an alcohol stage, <laughs> oddly enough. The only uh, the only beer garden we've ever had, and that was like yeah, two thousand when we did that. Yeah, so they don't do that anymore. It's no, all just well, yeah, because it's where the building down. Right. Well, <laughs> there too. For, and yeah. there was a big debate around uh, about two thousand three mm. whether or not we should have a beer garden because a beer like Budweiser or somebody would sponsor the beer garden, right, right. pay for the whole thing, bring their beer in, would bring in all these people and all this stuff. And several of the founders, Vivian included, but several of them included with that, just put their foot down and said, no, we are never going to have alcohol at our event. We're not going to have a public beer garden. We're just not going to be an alcohol event. And we've stuck to that. We've never had a beer garden. Uh, we have had some private events that have had alcohol at that that are fundraisers, but right, not a but not like in the public. Yeah, not yeah. in the yeah, not as part of the public uh, thing. And that's different from every other festival in the city of Seattle. You know, folk yeah. life and seafair and bumper shoot and you know, taste of Tacoma. All these things they all it have gives beer it gardens. its own yeah. appeal, though. Yeah, and it's also made us very popular in the police department. Yeah. Now here's a little funny side story. So you know, I, I also did the Boise Hemp Fest last weekend. Right. Yeah. Right. In, in Boise, the same weekend in Boise, they had something that I'd never heard of called the Tour de Fat. Tour de Fat is a uh, I don't know exactly why, but people dress up funny and ride bicycles around and drink a whole bunch. Okay. A okay. whole bunch in a park. And some of them came over to our place, and they're wearing, you know, like bicycle helmets with a mohawk down the middle of the back, and, and they're riding some motor bicycle that's been built so it's twice as tall as it's supposed to be. And, the tall bike. And yeah. Yep, yep. So there's a bunch of cool bicycles, a bunch of cool outfits, and a bunch of people, but it's all about alcohol. And just, yeah, yeah. I don't know how many police they had watching that, but I heard that they, you know, definitely oh, had to have a lot of police around that. They, uh... They also had maybe two officers that came by us, saw everything was cool and left. Yeah. As we were walking in, there was a lot directing, and they all completely awesome and cool and happy to be there like, directing you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, unlike a lot of other times. Or how was Boise? I mean, Idaho's the same way. They're not very open-minded as far as cannabis, marijuana. So, yeah, I've been volunteering ever since 96. Uh, when we de- developed the core group, I became part of the core group. Uh, when we uh, when we developed, we had just, you know, back in 96, they had one stage. It was called The Stage. You right. know? And now we have the Share Parker Memorial Stage in that position, and we have five other. Yeah, as I say, we passed, like, three coming yeah. to this one, and yeah. there's this, still uh, a couple this, more. This stage began as being the eco stage, which was the third stage they had. The Sealy stage was the second right. stage they put up. Uh, named after Ralph Seeley, who was a um, medical use advocate who passed away before we got the medical marijuana law in 1998. Oh, wow. Uh, I got to see him speak on main stage, well, which was the stage, and uh, and he held up his crutches and said, you would not take these away from me. Why do you take away my medicine? Epic. It was, yeah, it was a very pivotal moment. Who's the last song? Yeah, so uh, originally this was the eco stage. I volunteered on the eco stage, and then uh, it became the, Kev, the Peter McWilliams Memorial Stage. Mm, okay. And that was when I started being the MC, um, which somebody said, you know, what do you want? I worked a lot of different positions. I was security. I was information booths. I was uh, radio operations. I did a lot of different things. And somebody said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want Vivian's job. <laughs> And oddly enough, that's I kind of do that on this stage. And now you're here. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. What do you guys have, like, looking towards the future for this stage or just Hempfest in well, general? Well, for this stage, I, uh, I want to get the metal back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were the metal stage, and Cavi Gold was our sponsor, and now mm-hmm. they have their own stage, and they took all the metal bands up there, and I'm like, this morning's been kind of like, uh, where's my loud screaming music? <laughs> I was hanging backstage once, and there was this really sweet-looking little girl. She had black hair and a few pierces, nice-looking, really polite. We talked for a while. They go up on stage. She's the lead singer. They go up on stage, and they start up their song. She grabs the microphone, and she just goes, I'm like, did I say something to piss her off? 
that's her favorite song. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, she obviously was getting it all out through her music. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, I love that music. It's been... Uh, the, and it's funny because when we were at the Peter McWilliams stage, like Peter McWilliams liked show tunes and, and old blues standards. Right. And so it was kind of awkward that, you know... <laughs> When Todd McCormick How do you got out of jail, something like that? Yeah, Todd McCormick was arrested with Peter McWilliams, and when he got out of doing his five years and finally got off parole and came up here to visit, he was kind of like, um, "Well, Peter would would advocate for their right to have the music that they like, right. but that's not really what we listen to." That's awesome. So yeah, but Kevin Black on the other side really loved metal music, so right, gonna bring it back and keep it. It would be good to keep it here. Yeah, that's cool. I've heard just in the in my passings a lot of rumblings about having financial issues and like everyone's like oh this is gonna be the last one and that's BS or I know um, it does cost a lot of money. Know, to last set year we up had like this. we had an entire day where we had to shut down because it was like really? a, a rainstorm. Rain. Yeah. yeah, we yes. and that cut into our finances that. real severely. Right. Um, I like to be a little bit more optimistic. For sure, we will not be able to continue at a high level. You know, we won't be able to have all the porta potties and fences that we have. We might not be able to have a lot of the convenient things. Like we have these tents that we, right. that, these, you know, these are rented. Though, yeah, sure. these are rented. We yeah, pay yeah. for the guys to come down and put this up. We might have to go borrow tents and set them up ourselves, right. or not have tents and just string plastic tarps up. I mean, it could get, and we could lose a lot of volunteers because they're just going to be like, it's just not comfortable anymore. Right. Um, I've already complained bitterly about the fact that our, the portions of our food are just not, not what there. we were getting. But that's okay. we got food booths now, so I can get food from them. And something like that happens, though, it almost brings it back to like what made it awesome in the first place. It did seem exactly. like a lot of almost like carnival yellers trying yeah, to like give you a dollar to make a basket and a hoop kind of thing. It's like, that's not really what this was about. But I don't know. That's right. You know, it... I don't think it'll kill us. It, it might hurt us. Right, but there will always be. It might make it so that, um, you know, the number of people that come here will not be able, you know, to all get in. Well, we might be able to find a place to park next Yeah, Yeah, we might. It, it might be such that, you know, we, we can't do crowd control because we don't have the people. Right. And so we'll just say, you know, after 40,000 people get in the park, we're just going to shut the gate. And we've had the police tell us in other years, you know, you have to shut the gate. Right, right. So, you know, it, it, it gets it, big. It's hard to say what could happen, but yeah. uh, at the end of Memphis, because of money, I, you know, we've all done this as volunteers. I've never made right. a penny off of this. Right. And it costs me money to do this. It's cost me jobs to do this. I got fired from a job right after Hempfest. I'm sure why. And uh, yep. I honestly, when I go back to my job on uh, next Thursday, I'm really wondering. You know, right. They might, they might say, "Hey, we did without you for a week. We can do without you for good. Goodbye." You know, I'm really not sure what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that you know, does. like I said, this is what I live for. I yeah. don't live for the job in the print shop. Right. Exactly. I, oh, this That's is my. Just a trick. This is my cue. I gotta get. Go. All right. Get up there. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. If you like you weed, like this weed, is where, this is where you, you need to be. be. <laughs> if you like weed, this is where you need to be. Thank you for listening to the Hotbox Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hotbox Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hotbox Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hotbox Podcast.